everybody, and welcome back to Input 2, where we talk about everything film and movie related. And yes, there is a difference. Um, <laughs> at least if you're a film buff like me, there's a difference, which we won't get into right now. But today, we continue with our spooky Halloween theme, and we're going to talk about Scooby-Doo. But before we get into that... Who is we? Who is we? Who are we? All right, we are Jeremy Rogers. And I am your host, Emily Rubin, who... Normally would go first, but Jeremy's just that important. Today he is. So I introduce you first, Jer Bear. All right, Jeremy. Uh, just really quickly, like, what is your experience with Scooby-Doo? Did you actually watch any of the series as a kid? Oh, I loved Scooby-Doo from as far back as I can remember. Even at the ages of, like, three or four, that was the show that the older kids got to watch at my babysitter's when the little kids went down for a nap early. All the older kids got rewarded with uh, reruns of the original 1960s Scooby-Doo. The older kids? Like yeah, it wasn't the, age appropriate for younger kids? Like the infant children what? were I've, put to bed. I have been watching Scooby-Doo since as long as I can remember. I One of the first cartoons I ever watched was Tom and Jerry, and I know I was watching Scooby-Doo at that point. I was never scared by it. Were no, you? No. No, never scared by it. I mean, I loved a pup named Scooby-Doo in particular. I did too, and it's not even good. No. <laughs> Full disclosure. Um, no. Well, we're going to talk about the shows just very briefly, but our focus today is actually going to be on Scooby, a specific Scooby-Doo movie, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. But before really getting, ah, sorry, getting into that film, Brain Fart, it's really important to understand the context because this movie changed a lot for the franchise. It's true, isn't it? It's so true. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. So essentially at the time before this movie came out, Scooby-Doo was not terribly popular uh we all know scooby-doo started in like the 1969 69 era <laughs> era of 69 uh it started in the 60s 1969 and it was originally produced for cbs by hannah barbera and i think everyone at least most people are familiar with the original show um where are you scooby-doo you know i think everyone knows that theme song at least oh yeah iconic it's i honestly cannot imagine any childhood not hearing that theme song and i mean that specific original iteration like, it just reeks of, like, 60s pop. As much I, as I like a, a the What's New Scooby-Doo theme, I think the original definitely is not only the most nostalgic for me, I think it's, it's so chill, you know? Yeah, it's got that laid-back, like, Saturday morning cartoon feel of just, like, you just watch it and you know it's going to be a good time. And while it started out very simple, it's a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, so, I mean... It's nothing spectacular. This particular Hanna-Barbera cartoon became a freaking behemoth. Like, just to read off all of the Scooby-Doo content that has happened since 1969, we have 14 TV series spanning from 1969 to now. They're still happening. New series are still going on. Like separate TV show iterations. Like different generations of Scooby. Um, with all the same characters. Like, hardly anything has changed. It's insane to me. And then there are two live-action films that released in theaters, five animated TV movies, two live-action TV movies, one live-action direct-to-video movie, 
four TV specials, two crossovers, one with Johnny Bravo and another with Supernatural, six direct-to-video specials, which are different than the movies, uh, 16 Lego shorts on WB Kids and Lego's YouTube channels. Isn't that weird? I didn't know that existed. I had no idea. <laughs> 21 video games, three stage plays. What? Can you imagine? A, I, I am so curious. Like, what do you, <laughs> what can you really, I guess it could be kind of fun. Like some guy just running around as a ghost and like a bed sheet on stage. I don't know. I feel like having that in like a theater in the round sort of thing where the audience participates in everything. Like uh... <laughs> the actors are scattered among everyone. I feel like that could be cool. I really want to see like a musical. A I Scooby knew you were Doo. going to say. I knew. Can I can? What else would they sing? They have the like the opening theme song, and then like I guess they'd have to make an original soundtrack. Ode to the Mystery Machine. Ooh, the Hex Girls could be live. Oh, that'd be goodness. pretty dope. But that's not even all, guys. There are get. I, you know, when I first was trying to guess how many animated films there were that were direct-to-video because this series really relies on the direct-to-video format. I was thinking like 15. Yeah, that sounds like a reasonable number. I could not have been... I I was barely not halfway correct. It is 31 animated direct-to-video animated films. And counting. Yeah, they're still making more and they're not going to stop. This franchise is going to keep going until people just stop caring and that hasn't happened yet. It almost happened. Almost, but something came along and changed that. <laughs> well, and what that happened? thing was a bunch of reruns, actually. The original formula of the show—I'm sure everybody knows—so I'm not going to touch on it too much. You know, you have your group of kids: Shaggy, Scooby, Velma, Daphne, and Fred. Mystery Inc. And they just find monsters. They're always like, "I wonder what the monster's doing," and then it turns out to be a person. How often can you watch that formula without getting bored? Is the real question. Um, the problem is, very quickly, people weren't doing anything new with that formula. Every episode, it was just a monster of the week, similar to like your villain of the week for superheroes. It was always fake. There were really no stakes. Like, nothing bad was truly going to happen to anybody. Um, At worst, it was rated E10 for ages 10 and up. Yeah, and the villains were never particularly terrifying. They were more so just kind of fun, I guess. They they did a lot of chasing. (laughs) But the main theme of the show is that the monster is always a person. And that is an interesting concept if you account it we're gonna go a little deep into scooby-doo like it's a deep show that's an interesting commentary that you know there's nothing really supernatural to be afraid of what's really scary are the people you yeah, fellow a bunch of people who want to have money so they it's go always around, money it's always it's, money. it's always i it's mean money they, or property they can't really go too dark with it in terms of motivation at, at least at that point right right we're not having like serial killers <laughs> Dressing up as monsters or, you know, like child traffickers. Oh, my God. Drug dealers. You know, they had to keep it. You know, no one's actually evil. They just beyond... are greedy. Yeah. So that gets old really quick. Uh, I think the season, there are two seasons I can name where I know people were very upset. The first one was when Scrappy-Doo appeared. Nobody likes Scrappy. No one. Not a single person. That's why in the live action movie, they were like, you know, it'd be funny (laughs) if we made Scrappy the villain because we all hate him. I mean, it wasn't really that clever, but literally. Great. More Scrappy. Yay. More 
freaking Scrappy-Doo. Yeah, he's incredibly annoying. He really just doesn't have a purpose to be there. Audiences at the time didn't really like him, and he's pretty much regarded as the worst character in the show. Um, he was there to sell merchandise with his catchphrase, Puppy Power, on it. <laughs> he says that his voice is so annoying. He's like, Puppy Power. No one wants that. Can you imagine like being a parent and just having to hear that over and over? I can't. It's terrible. But that is one of the first big drops. I mean... You subjected your parents to years of Spongebob. I sure did. Ed, Ed, and Eddie. <laughs> Who are you to Hush. talk about this? Spongebob is culture. It's just a meme. <laughs> um, Scrappy-Doo was, I think, for the first real big red flag. Before that, it was kind of stagnant and just like, it's the same old, same old. And then I'd say, well, I'd not like I say, this is just a common regarded fact, is that a pup named Scooby-Doo happened and everyone was like, okay, were there kids now? That's that's the that's the new thing is that they're kids instead of instead of being adults who do things, now the gimmick is just that's all we have new to add to this formula anymore. It's just juvenile mischief. So every year prior to the release of a pup named Scooby-Doo, there had been consistently um, an animated series that had been happening. After A Pup Named Scooby-Doo ended its run, um, I think it was in 1985. Two seasons is all it lasted. And to be fair, the first uh, series, I guess we'll call it, of the Scooby-Doo series, <laughs> um, it only lasted two seasons as well, but it had another animated show season, not a season, but another show to follow it up. Pup Named Scooby-Doo temporarily killed the series. Like, it, there was no animated show to follow it. And I believe it, I said 1985, I'm pretty sure it was actually 91 when it stopped running. Uh, don't quote me on that. But um, after that, it was gone. And I think people were starting to just forget it. It really wasn't in pop culture anymore. But all of that's going to change. Because then uh, the show was still being, was still owned and being produced by Hanna-Barbera Productions. Mm -hmm. But Hanna-Barbera was running out of money because Scooby-Doo wasn't doing too hot at the time. And not only Scooby-Doo, but Hanna-Barbera was just criticized widely because when you think about a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, you think of like your Flintstones, the Jetsons, and those don't really have substance to them. And their animation is, it's far from good. <laughs> we all watch it because it's something simple to put on. But when you think of those shows, you think of like repeating backgrounds, simple character designs, like 10 of the shows all feature the same cast, different like names. The Jetsons and the Flintstones, those were their popular shows. They yeah. had like a dozen others that like you might have remembered as like some weird like 80s Top Cat? fever dream. Top Cat. Everyone, <laughs> he's no. looking at me like I'm crazy, but Top Cat was actually very famous in Mexico for some reason. Um, so... Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island came out in 1998, and this is where things become interesting for the series, because unlike other Scooby-Doo shows or movies that, um, that had been released prior, it was advertised with the tagline, this time, the monsters are real. Before this movie was being advertised, because of the new ownership by Cartoon Network, they started rerunning a lot of the older episodes on their networks. Uh, and that kind of built up after a couple of years of no new content that kind of brought Scooby-Doo back into the cultural consciousness. Mm -hmm. So that was the that was why they decided to make the new movie. Yep. You know, that was the context that it was released in. It wasn't just some dead franchise that was getting a new movie. People were still watching. But there was no new animated series. It was reruns. 
Right, right. Um, so it actually released in September 1998, and it was direct-to-video. And this started a huge trend, as I mentioned earlier. There are 31 of these things now. Um, but it aired on Cartoon Network in October that same year. Um, and I think it had a very... I think for a lot of kids, this the tone of this movie was not only just a huge step up in quality, but it was a, such a... It was actually scary. And when you see that on your TV, like as a kid, like you're watching Cartoon Network, you know, you have your fun. I think Dexter's Lab was on at the time. Let's say Dexter's Lab. And then all of a sudden, like you have the zombie movie that just comes on with like werecats and stuff. And you're like, what is this? And I think that for a lot of kids had a huge impact. And not only is it a zombie movie with these weird werecat things. Like, it lulls you into a false sense of security. You see Scoob and Shag. You see the whole gang. And you're like, okay, cool. They're new. They've got new designs. That's fun. We're going to get into some fun hijinks. But then the monsters attack. The real monsters this time, apparently. That's what the movie tagline alleges. We'll get into that if it's actually true. Now, because this wasn't released in theaters, there's no real, you know, box office numbers for this. But in a Billboard article with Dan Capone, the director of marketing for Family Entertainment at Warner Home Video, said that Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island exceeded expectations in terms of budget. Uh, not budget, but uh, money. Yeah, Nielsen ratings. <laughs> Nielsen ratings. Thank you. Money gaining. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a film student. Anyway... This film did incredibly well. Uh, they, I'm sure they knew that they had like a good film on their hands when they were making it, but I'm not sure they knew that this would just like reinvigorate the entire franchise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so when we look at ratings, they kind of match this as well. You can see that critically it did well um and just to be completely transparent on rotten tomatoes there is only six critic reviews i'm sorry seven critic reviews so it's not a big sample to go off of um and not all of them can still be found online yes some of them are kind of older so they it looks like they got taken down and to be frank a lot of these people i don't recognize or i don't recognize their publications so i just want to be completely transparent when talking about these numbers and critics or whatever so the critics gave the film again seven critics an 86 86 percent rating on rotten tomatoes and amongst audiences it has 77 percent but that's based off 40 ah, 43,000 reviews so that is a much higher number than the critics so audiences generally like this movie yeah uh at the i mean scooby-doo was known if for anything at the time for being this long-running, long-winded series of predictable, boring mush that you just put on for small children. Yeah. So uh, a lot of serious reviewers were not interested in tackling a made-for-TV film or a made-for-direct-video film. And amongst the other animated direct-to-home video Scooby-Doo movies, this is the highest rated one but again the sampling is not very good a lot of the other scooby-doo movies just don't have ratings or at least a lot so again going off of rotten tomatoes take that with a grain of salt there just aren't that many people commenting on the intricacies of scooby-doo movies nowadays (laughs) um there is one what i 
call notable review from Rotten Tomatoes uh, by Felix, Felix Vasquez Jr. from Cinema Crazed. And he says he highly suggests it for animation buffs looking for a new flavor with Scooby-Doo. And I thought that was like, just a good little snippet of his review because, I mean, everything he says is correct. Uh, I don't know, for animation buffs, but for... It, what it do, in regards to children's animation, this is a really interesting movie just because it, it, the way it, it animates to be scary. And that's rare for, it's actually trying to scare kids, which is rare. Um, and it is a completely new flavor of Scooby-Doo, which we have commented on multiple times. So now with that little backstory of Scooby-Doo. It's kind of reminiscent of uh, Batman the Animated Series in How's terms that? of uh, animation and just overall tone and style. You know, Batman the Animated Series premiered in 1995, and it was widely known for just its dark color palette, its very serious tone. And this kind of gave, took a little bit of artistic influence from that. I mean, we don't have that as an actual source, but just it looks like they took some of that influence and applied it to Scooby-Doo. You know, darker shadows, uh, more subdued color palette. Maybe, I, I wouldn't say it was influenced by it, uh, but the 90s definitely saw the rise of grittier animation, not even just children's animation, just like those dark noir-esque shadows. Um, and while this, it, did become, it came at the very tail end of the 90s, so I think that like animated series, like, Batman the Animated Series. I keep saying series, but it's just part of the name. Um, it it just drew off of that style. I'm not sure it was influenced by it uh, that specifically, but that was just the theme of the 90s animated world. Uh, just a quick on-the-fly correction. I said it started in 1995. Batman the Animated Series ended in 1995. You fool. Started in 92. You slanderous fool. <laughs> All right, let's get into the plot of this film. Let's actually talk about what makes this film so interesting in Scooby-Doo lore. All right, so start us off, Jeremy. How does this film begin? All right, so the film starts, and Mystery Inc. has been split up now for a while. They're bored with their standard Mystery Inc. They're tired of everybody being, you know, just dudes in masks, and I don't blame them. Yeah, it's gotten old for audiences, and it's gotten old for the characters as well. So they've all split up, gone on to do their own things. So everyone's favorite uh, damsel in distress, Daphne, <laughs> she is now a reporter for her show Coast to Coast with Daphne Blake. Which is a perfect job for her. Absolutely it is. Very in character. And her b- boyfriend, who isn't really her boyfriend at this point, I guess. Unconfirmed. It's Fred and Daphne are dating, uh, is a cameraman. Fred is the cameraman now. That's right. And it's kind of, I just want to, might be a little inappropriate, but okay. <laughs> his entire okay. career is just filming Daphne, who throughout the years he's just had this like tension with. Isn't that weird? I mean, it, it worked for Megamind, <laughs> so I mean, it can work here. All right, what does Velma do? Velma, she owns and operates her own bookstore and i just i just want to point this out uh an inconsistency in the film is the name of her store when we first see it it's called dinkley's mystery bookshop and that's written on the window velma dinkley and then later when on the sign sticking out it's dinkley's mystery books and then it's mystery ink bookshop when she talks on the phone what is it 
<laughs> what? Velma, maybe the reason you haven't had much success, you haven't branched out, made it a franchise, you need to stick with your branding. <laughs> she doesn't even know what her branding is. <laughs> it's so... Oh, man. It's... I guess that's the first mystery. <laughs> This is a real uh, mystery of Zombie Island, is what is Velma's bookstore's name? It seems like such a simple thing to not miss. I wonder if they just had different animators on each of those little sequences. I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting. But you know what's more interesting than Velma is Shaggy and Scooby, who are doing what? What are they doing? Oh, they work as uh, airport security. <laughs> I guess they weren't that interesting because no one remembered. And they and like yeah. right off the bat, they get fired for doing exactly what I would be doing is stealing people's food and eating it. All right. All right. You had me going there. First, I was a little concerned. Airport security, stealing people. <laughs> as you do at the airport, steal people. So yeah. even though everybody's split up, what we first see of Daphne is that she's like, I miss the gang. I miss them so much, even though we just saw them, like, a few minutes ago. Like, eh, done with this. But I I wonder how much time has actually passed. I think it's, like, been a year since they've all... That sounds about right. ...parted ways. Uh, So Fred hears this, and he's like, you know what's coming up? Daphne's birthday. You know what would be a good gift? Getting the gang back together and mystery-ing. I mean, great way to stay in the friend zone, Fred. Whoa. Uh... (laughs) It's your girl's birthday, and so the number one thing you want to do is... (laughs) Bring your friends. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's a PG movie. Um, So they all start solving mysteries again, and the whole theme this time is not necessarily trying to prove that the person in the mask is a person. They want to. They are going to find a monster, a real one. That is their goal throughout this movie, and I think that's so much more interesting than the uh, original premise. Or it's a good subversion of the trope that they made within their own series. Why hasn't one of the series been about that? You know, I don't know if it would actually work if they did it consistently. But to be honest, I haven't watched the newest series. Yeah, which I, I hear is very good, so maybe they do touch on that. I kind of tapped out after once. What's new Scooby Doo? Anyway, Nothing to top that <laughs> the gang song. goes to New Orleans and they meet this this girl named Lena, and Lena is kind of weird because she overhears them and she's like, "You want to see some ghosts, some real ghost kids? Come to Moonscar Island, and we'll hook you right up." So they go by ferry and they meet this really weird fisherman dude who has a pet boar named Mojo. <laughs> And I swear to I haven't watched this movie uh, before like this in a long time. And Mojo is the one name like of the like side characters that I remember just because like the way he says is like Mojo. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got to love Snake Bite Scrug. Yeah, that's the fisherman. fisherman. <laughs> Voiced by Mark Hamill. Mark, Marky Mark. <laughs> you always show up in weird animated stuff. <laughs> I love you, Mark. Anyway. They get to Moonscar Island and they meet Simone, who is the employer of Lena, and she owns this huge plantation property, which will become important later. A plantation property in the South. Ghosts. Think about what that might mean. So Scooby and Shaggy go off and, well, Scooby's chased by the pig. Boar? Pig? I think it's a boar. Whatever. I think it's a pig. (laughs) And... He they he, they fall into this pitfall trap, well, not a trap, but just like this pit, like a grave esque pit thing, 
that's just there. And they're trapped for a minute. And you see like this wisp of like, ooh, thing, like a ghost wisp. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. And a will o wisp. It starts to like reincarnate. Reanimate? Well, it, is it. He comes like back as a zombie. So is it reincarnated? We'll figure that one out. <laughs> That's our second mystery. Please comment and tell us because we, we don't know. Anyway, it brings the zombie back to life. And the animation here is so weird and cool. This is terrifying stuff. So as the body is forming back together, you see like the bones and flesh forming. And Scooby and Shaggy don't notice. We are subjected to this horror, but not them. So we're seeing like this and like the way it moves when it's like coming back together is it's like it's trembling. It moves in such an unnatural, un- inhuman way, and it starts doing like that uh, zombie moan thing, and it's actually horrifying. Like when you're a kid watching this, I can genuinely see how this would freak you out. And the way it's animated, like the eyes are white, there's like deep shadows. It's just so contrasted with like our you know comforting main cast who has like pretty uh, non-defined shadows. Like they're very friendly appearing yeah no here we just see a bunch of bones start flying through the air they reconstitute themselves in the shape of a skeleton it starts jerking around and suddenly we look and see it's got this zombified head with no eyes it's scary slowly starts growing its skin back clothed weirdly (laughs) yeah are the clothes zombified are they like because they come back with him like that's such a weird... Uh, this movie has already raised questions about the undead for me. Like, is it reincarnation or reanimation? Are clothes, a, like, permanently part of your ghostliness? What all gets revived? You, your mind, your aesthetic? This is too much. I came here for a friendly children's show about zombies. But oh, and- Also, he reanimates with a sword. Oh, yeah, that's apparently part of him now. Very strange. His pirate cutlass. But that's our first encounter with the zombie, and obviously Shaggy and Scooby escape. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. They're in the kitchen, as, you know, Shaggy and Scooby always do. They're always eating stuff. And another weird wispy wisp thing happens, but this time Daphne's there and Fred's there. So they start to, I was going to say, they start to camera it. They start to shoot it. Um... And I love the way Daphne says this. She's like, did someone open a window as like a random gust that obviously isn't from a window because there's no window that's been shown in this room? <laughs> like, Velma's supposed to be smart and she's right there. Like, I'm just... But um, it starts to scratch at the walls. And I mean, like, barely scratch. And you commented this earlier to me, Jeremy. Like, Velma notices just wood. Like, okay, so it scratches a message in the, like, drywall, I guess, and it says, get out. Beware. Yes. And then, you know, they go away. They look at the film again. Uh, Velma comes back looking at the wall, and she sees that there's, like, wood underneath the wall. And she goes, there's something under here. And she starts scratching (laughs) at it with her finger like chipping away the hard wall. Then she grabs a spatula from the (laughs) counter and uses it to start scraping off a huge portion of the wall. Keep in mind, all she saw under the, like, drywall was wood. What what, what else should be there? 
And it's just like, <laughs> of course, because it's a kid's movie, she uncovers a big clue. But like, uh, what if it, it wasn't there? It's just, it's just, she's the smart one. She runs a bookstore, <laughs> but she's never watched HGTV before. She doesn't know what a <laughs> shiplap wall is. That's why she can't keep the name of her store straight. This is quite sad. Velma's really like regressed since we've seen her last in the original series. It's I also funny. I more of the person who couldn't find her glasses. It's also funny because uh, Simone, the employer and the runner of the plantation, owner of the plantation, she even comments on this. She's like, you just destroyed my wall. And they're all just like, oh, it's Velma just goes, sorry, I think I just got carried away. Like, you're going to pay for that though, right? Right? <laughs> Very dumb. So we are now told that the ghost that they caught on camera, because when he wrote that, like, beware thing on the wall it caught it on the camera we're informed that this is a confederate soldier from the civil war yeah it's a confederate soldier from the civil war you just shook your head at me yeah no i thought this wasn't this uh the pirate yeah he's a soldier he was a pirate no he wasn't you know what we're gonna fight about this but it, it was a confederate soldier ghost <laughs> and he's going to vigorously type and try to prove me wrong but i'm gonna just continue <laughs> This is a threat. But anyway, just to keep going, during the next dinner scene, Shaggy and Scooby end up getting in trouble with a bunch of cats because Simone owns just a ton of cats. Like, they're everywhere. And constantly Simone's like, get that dog out of there. She says it just like that. And so they're like, you know, whatever. We'll go eat in the car in the woods or in the bayou. They go to eat in the mystery machine. In the bayou. I mean, like I want to go at, at stay night. Far away from the cats. No, they could just go in a different room. <laughs> what are they worried about? The non-existent serial killers in their universe. I guess coming out to kidnap them. Well, this scene always stuck out to me as a kid because um, they're eating crawdads, and as a kid, when I first saw this, I was like four, I guess, five, something like that. Um, and I was every time Shaggy took a bite of one of those, I was like, I need it. I need to taste it. And I've still never had a crawdad. But every time I like think of crawdads, I just think of Shaggy eating them. So this movie really did impact me. Did you prove me right or wrong? I proved you wrong. Dang it's it. the pirate who scratches the message into his wall with his rusty cutlass. But there definitely is a Confederate soldier. We'll, we'll get to that one a little later. Dang it. Okay, well, I promise later there are zombie Confederate soldiers. I guess this one was just a random pirate. Not a random pirate. Not a random but one. The pirate. Okay, there are pirates here, and that's kind of weird. Morgan Moonscar. There were pirates here, like years and years ago, and then Confederates came, and then yeah, everything changed was, when the Confederates attacked. It was a confed. The island was, used to be used as a Confederate base during the Civil War. Yeah. Okay, so I'm wrong. But anyway, they're eating outside. They find this is the actual Confederate zombie, I'm pretty sure. And they run from it. And Fred shows up. And they're like, Fred, take the mask off. Only it doesn't come off. The entire head comes off. Hold hold off. I mean, this is a great point. But we totally skipped over the best musical number in any Scooby-Doo movie. Are we really going to focus on this? This, this, really? Okay, sing it. Do it. Do it now. Why, why do I have to sing anything? What is it, Jeremy? It's terror time. 
And why is it important? What has it impacted? It's impacted me <laughs> on a very deep personal level. Yes, there's a random musical number that apparently is Horror very pop. it's very important to Jeremy. The best Halloween song better than the Monster Mash. More iconic. It deserves that. Wait, placement. didn't that happen after the zombie appeared? Because they're not running from anything at this point. They run from the zombies during its terror time. You said, wait, you said we skipped it. Yeah, because then after its terror time, we see Fred pulling the zombie yeah. head off. Yeah, so we skipped it. I disagree. We didn't skip it. We were about to get into it. <laughs> its terror time happens before Fred pulls the zombie head. Oh, you're right. About it, so oh, we no, skipped wait. it. I don't know why I just came to the conclusion you're right. But you are. It just keeps happening. You know what? I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, they they now realize, like, oh, my gosh, there's actually a bigger mystery afoot. Um, and they start actually kind of researching. Or at least they're made to research because they're running. And then they find, like, this little place, like, this little lair thing. And there's, like, a uh, a spot in the ceiling that reveals the moon. And what's what's the name of, like, the... The seals that like the sundials, sundial. There's moon a, dial. Yeah, it's a moon dial though. Um, so that's a little weird. But they also find like voodoo dolls of themselves, and it's very clearly a voodoo doll of everybody. And they're like, "What is this?" And they start like messing with them, and they all start like flying around, like they start hurting each other unintentionally. Okay, so Scooby and Shaggy find the dolls, and it's the dolls of everyone else. Mm-hmm. So to be fair, they don't know they're playing with magic. I guess that's fair. They're separated from the group. Yeah, I still want to be touching dolls of myself that I found at somebody's house that I just met. Is that fair? <laughs> I don't know. They could be making you a thoughtful gift. You know, very it's like personal. A stalker gift. But anyway, that's when they're like, they're really like, okay, and there are zombies. There are apparently pirates. There are ghosts. This is too much. There's been some weird levitation going on. Velma in the kitchen. So we go and find Lena and Simone are missing. So we go in the house. We find their basement chamber. And they, Lena and Simone show up and they capture them. And they're like, why are you capturing us? Well, I thought you were good guys or, or something. And then they turn into werecats. They do a little backstory first. They're like, they give their little sob story that you can tell if you want way back when, <laughs> when the island was first being settled. Moon, back before Moonscar Island was Moonscar Island, Lena and Simone were part of the group of settlers. They worshipped some weird, unspecified cat god. They're pagans. Yeah. And then this, uh, this jerk came along on his big boat, Morgan Moonscar, the pirate. He came in, didn't like what was going on there or something. They don't really give him a reason. Uh, but he drives all the settlers into the water where they're all eaten by uh, alligators. That's kind of... This scene it's, really freaked me out as a kid because, like, they all very clearly died. No, yeah. Uh, it shows Lena and Simone. They hid behind a tree or something like that. And while they're hiding, you can very clearly hear the anguished cries of all their friends and family. And you just see Lena and Simone's faces, like in horror looking away it's very like this has never happened in a scooby-doo movie and it 
certainly very rarely happens in animated anything for kids uh, where you so very clearly are not giving a did they or did they not die this is kind of like an equivalent to like Littlefoot's mom dying like it's you just kind of have to look at it yeah no Bambi's mom just got shot guys (laughs) yeah basically so Lena and Simone understandably they're a little miffed (laughs) so they pray to their cat god to give them to take revenge and it turns them into werecats and they yeah they exact their revenge they kill the pirates but they also find out that they can live forever now because if they feed on the souls of the pirates they get to live forever and that's how the magic works yeah, so they just suck people's souls, or like life force, I guess, essentially. So they start doing that to our little gang, and it's really freaky because you can actually see them like skeletizing. I don't know if that's a word, but like. They start to like age really rapidly. And they're like groaning, like. Hercules, Ugh. when he dives into the sea yes. of dead people, it's just like that. That's a perfect analogy. It's really, it's, it's freaky. Like these are characters that we've grown up loving in so many different iterations, and nothing bad ever really happens to them. And you see them being killed. Right. It's like an old friend. You grew up loving them. You... Fred, no. You started to hate them after a while because they were boring and they did the same thing over and over again. And now you're starting to like them again. You've reconnected. I guess. I... You know what? Fred's not my friend. I take it back. I don't like Fred. <laughs> he should have just rotted away. <laughs> anyway. It's at this point that Daphne realizes the other twist in the film. Not only <gasps> were Lena and Simone the bad guys all along. Mm-hmm. The zombies were trying to help the gang the entire time. Yeah, so it's really funny when you think about it. Um, the Confederate like soldiers, they were definitely the good guys in this movie. To be fair, there are also a couple of other Union soldiers that pop up, or they're Confederate soldiers who stole yeah. Union out uniforms. But the one that warned them was a Confederate soldier, wasn't it? I don't know. I'm going to believe it was because I think that's funnier. And the pirates, and I guess I don't know. There's also the a boar. Of like... The boar kind of helped because he got them initially trapped in that little pit. Sure, thanks, Mark <laughs> Hamill. Mark Hamill and your pig friend. Even though Mark Hamill's character is actually a werewolf cat too. No, no, he's not. The the fisherman. No, yeah. the fisherman's not. Yes, One, he the is. The ferryman. Oh, the Jacques. ferryman. I'm sorry, fisherman, ferryman, Jacques. You get my drift. It starts with an F. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look at me that way. Um, For a second, I got really confused because I thought you meant Jacques. No, and no. I was just like, Jacques does not start with an F. You're right. I mean, the guy that takes Ferryman. them across the freaking, not the ocean, like I was about to say, the water. water. <laughs> I'm very tired, everybody. Uh, so we can't, we can't sleep because we watched this spooky film. Yeah. Well, that's the movie. It's it's definitely a step up from other Scooby-Doo entries. Uh, like, movies of the past were like, Scooby-Doo meets the Three Stooges, but as ghosts. Like, okay, cool. Or, you know, Scooby and Shaggy and Arabian Nights. <gasps> yes, that movie is terrible. That was the, uh, the uh, made-for- home video film that was made directly before Zombie Island. It did not do well at all. It did terribly. Um, 
and there was a huge gap between that film and this film and like there was no other big movies released oh no and it you understand why if you look up any footage from that film. It can't be hard to find. I highly uh, recommend it to animation majors so you can see never what to do with characters and movement and color and character design and story and everything. This Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, like we've said so many times, just blew everyone away because no one really expected a Scooby-Doo franchise that had been doing so poorly for so long to (laughs) feature all of this dark content and it's so using the word dark is simplistic there's more to it than that but really this this movie has stayed with me more than any other scooby-doo thing ever i don't know scooby-doo meets dick van dyke kind of comes close they met kiss too so in terms of the animation and style i think it's important to note this is very not only is the tone of the film different but just the overall aesthetic of it is one of the big differences that immediately sticks out to me is the dark shadows they use a noir-esque darkness when define like defining characters faces with the bad characters like your werecats or your pirates or your zombies their shadows are pitch black you cannot see like the shading for the most part of like skin it's just like dark contoured lines very similar to batman the animated series it's it's just very gritty it's jarring for those of us who grew up watching you know scooby-doo meets gary coleman yes big difference monumental difference between pup named scooby-doo and zombie island scooby-doo they very purposely made this more adult and I wonder if they were trying to get a an audience that would feel more nostalgic and they thought they might have a few older viewers, maybe viewers that now have children. And maybe that's why they gave a little more care to it. I don't know. But it definitely works. And I really do wish that more modern Scooby-Doo entries took the stylistic approach. Um, it could easily become tired or bored if every series did it. But... It's not just those. It's not just the colors and the shadows that make this entry into the Scooby Doo franchise different. One of the things that really gets me is how the characters move. You really feel like there's a sense of presence with all of these things. Like it's not just a drawing. It's an actual person or an actual creature that's moving through the space depicted on screen. They're very slow. The animation um, in kids' animation specifically. Movement is very quick. Animation is very fast. Um, And that's because usually cartoons have like a zaniness or a funness to them. And this film decides to animate characters, for the most part, more slowly, a little more realistically. They have a bit more weight in their step to them. It just feels... It's not fun in the way that a lot of Scooby-Doo movies are. There's not as much slapstick. You With Shaggy and Scooby, it happens occasionally. Um, you need it. It's a kid's movie overall. But, I mean, that is f- so downplayed in comparison to other entries. I mean, even if you just look at some of the run cycles from the original show, everyone runs in a extremely flat-footed way. You can also, like, there uh, with Scooby especially, there's a lot of those, like, Sonic esque run cycles where you don't see the feet that they just turn into like that spinning circle you know what i'm talking about yeah. and they like run off that that type of thing is not as forefront in this movie 
Yeah. So something else that's really interesting is uh, the character development in this movie. Um, we, in the original series, there really aren't characters. They're just kind of cutouts. <laughs> is that fair to say? I mean, Shaggy and Scooby eat and are scared. Yeah. Fred is the leader, I guess. You gotta have one. Uh, Velma's smart. And Daphne yeah. does... She looks good. Yeah. And gets kidnapped. She's one of the most prominent damsels in distress ever. <laughs> I think she's one of the big ones that people notice and think about very quickly. Like Princess Peach. <laughs> yeah? Fair? Fair. But what's interesting about this film is they give a lot more depth. And I say death, depth, but it's still a kid's movie, you have to keep in mind. But considering where they came from these characters are far more interesting daphne is the most interesting in terms of development uh the job that she takes as a journalist or on-screen personality is perfect it gives her more of a presence and she's definitely more confident she's walking or she's directing fred she's directing the camera she's like we need to get this we need to do this she's the one that's kind of like we need to find the real monsters in the original show it would never be daphne that's so ambitious or so confident it, it would probably be fred or velma I mean, kind of, but giving that's almost giving the original series too much credit. Yeah, I don't think any of them really would. No. Yeah, Daphne is also interesting, too, because she and Fred are able to develop a little more in conjunction with one another. She is given definitely, a, I'd call, a more dominant role in their relationship, and this actually gives them more of a relationship. They actually get jealous over one another, talking to, you know, members of the opposite sex. Um, but Daphne's the one that kind of runs Fred around, and I think that's really funny, because she was just such a nothing, and now she just she just owns the screen. Yeah, and further playing off of that, we see some development with Fred as a character. Mm -hmm. He went from being the de facto leader of all other iterations of the series to now thinking of himself as the leader. <laughs> you know, he's got this kind of like false bravado and it's, about him. They let him be more fun. Like he's often a gag when he when he's the one that takes off the mat, what they think is the mask of the zombie and the head falls off. It's not scary more so it's funny that like this head just fell off into fred's lap or hands and he's like juggling it around usually that would be reserved for shaggy and scooby yeah and that type of just like the lines he has like mm, pecan pie like just the way he says things to like lena like he compliments her in such a goofy terribly flirty like not good flirting way like it's so awkward and just not what you would think of it as a leader <laughs> he wears an ascot. I think it's fitting. He tries one on in this movie, but yeah. then he decides against it. Yeah, he does. Poor Fred. He really needs to lose that look. They should have updated Fred's uh, style a little more. Yeah. I think but... he's the one that's to me, still looks straight out of the original. Like, it looks... The other ones, I can kind of believe that they're not in, like, the 70s, 80s. But for, I don't know. For me, Fred just feels like he's stuck in time. He just doesn't look like a normal person in modern society. But that's just me. That's my personal animation or style preference. I don't know. I mean, it's unfortunate that we don't get similar character development with anyone else. Like Velma, Velma gets a is little boring. bit. Velma's always really boring to me. 
She and she doesn't really do it. Like she just kind of vandalizes somebody's house, and <laughs> leaves. You know, for science. For science. Is this science? I mean, uh, paranormal. Forensic science. Whatever. Uh, criminology. <laughs> so too many questions with this movie. Um, what's interesting to note too with this film is only one voice actor from you know past had retur- returned to play Fred specifically Frank Welker. Um, Scooby's voice actor sadly had passed away, Sky Eines, and he passed away a year prior to this film. And the film is actually dedicated to him, which is quite sweet, I think. But it's sad that for like the movie that reinvigorated the series, it would have been nice for him to be a part of it, considering what he had brought to the character, and he was such a defining part of the show. So that's quite a shame. But something also that's weird about the voice acting... Um, they actually did have Shaggy's original voice actor set to play Casey Kasem, which is an awesome name. I just want to throw that out there. I don't know. I love it so much. But what's so surreal to me is he was like, you know, I really can't play this character unless you make him a vegetarian. Vegan. Vegan? Vegan. Dead serious. That That's really his reason. And obviously the studio and everybody was like, uh, that's kind of stupid. <laughs> so they got Billy West. And I think I've heard people criticize Billy West in this role. Um, I think he sounds weird at some points, but it's shaggy. Like he, he's like he's weird, like Scoob. He's a weird guy. Like he's weird. Like I don't know. He's like a hippie stoner. Like what do you want him to sound like? He sounds perfectly close to the original to me. So thanks, Billy West, for picking up the slack when Casey Kasem was being too, I don't know, diva-y. I mean, you also have to understand the company, the whole property had just switched hands to a new production company. So all the understandings that Casey Kasem had had with Hanna-Barbera were were just thrown out the window because he was working with a whole new set of executives. I don't see how that makes it okay that he's like, yeah, don't animate any meat just because of my personal preference, not this character. No, I just mean that gives (laughs) context to why suddenly it became a problem. I guess we don't know if in the past this was something that had been bothering him too. Maybe he was like new company. Maybe they'll make Shaggy a vegan. Quite honestly, Shaggy seems like a character that would be anyway. I mean, or yeah. maybe if you're thinking of like him as a stereotype, but also he eats everything, so probably not. But I mean, like he eats dog food. Yeah, I don't think he'd be terribly picky about what goes in his mouth but who knows so and then there's another interesting thing with the voice actress go ahead jeremy so uh adrienne barbeau who plays simone in the show the big bad the cat woman or the were cat <laughs> in the past she had actually portrayed the character Catwoman in batman the animated series and jacques uh the other were cat who gets introduced later on in the film as a were cat he's the ferry driver he was originally he was voiced by jim cummings who played fat cat in chippendale rescue rangers so uh who knows? Our third mystery of the podcast. Was this intentional foreshadowing or just a <laughs> little bit of serendipity? <laughs> Who knows? But I think it's um, you brought up earlier that maybe there was some influence from Batman. Having a voice actress from Batman, and maybe this is off, but maybe that was 
maybe that is an indicator of some influence or maybe, you know, voice actresses get around, <laughs> you know, who knows? But hey, giving credence to your previous point, you should be happy. Me giving you a compliment. I am. <laughs> I'm so happy. So I have a question for you. Is it better for the monsters to be real? What do you mean? In terms of just like for Scooby-Doo in for general? Scooby-Doo, for Scooby-Doo, yeah. I think it's just the shot in the arm that uh, the series needed. It's so much more refreshing for it to be, you know, something different. I don't think the monsters necessarily had to be real just because that kind of breaks with precedent. But I think it also shows that anything can happen now. And that adds a little bit of excitement. It adds some stakes to the whole thing. I don't know. I think I think it in the end it worked out really well for the series and for the film. I wonder if the decision to make it real monsters... Um, well, first off, this film was actually based off of an episode of SWAT Cats that was unfinished. Oh, yes, SWAT Cats. I loved SWAT Cats as a kid. <laughs> Tell us about SWAT Cats very briefly. All right, so... Think about it. SWAT. You've got that elite police force and cats with a K. It's peak 90s radical action. <laughs> Two vigilante cats fight crime. Lots of technology. Big enemies. Big action. Big fun. I absolutely missed that boat as a kid. I never heard of this until looking up this film. No, yeah, me and my older brother used to like climb into cardboard boxes and pretend we were SWAT cats, you know, flying around in our airships defeating bad guys. <laughs> That's so cute. Uh, but this is absolutely true. It's confirmed in a podcast interview in the podcast, a podcast named Scooby-Doo, which is a very cute title, in my opinion. And the interview is with Lance Folk, who has just done a ton of stuff in children's animation. Um, he was a model coordinator in this film. He was a writer of SWAT Cats. Coincidence, obviously. Um, and a character designer on the Smurfs. And that's only to name a few. He's done stuff with Animaniacs which is a big deal in my opinion because one of my favorite animated shows. So he's been around and he's he's the one that confirmed that this is true. So I wonder if if it wasn't for that unfinished episode of SWAT Cats, would we have this film even? I think that's possible, but I think it would have been drastically different. Yeah. I think that part of, I think that uh, Cartoon Network wanted to reboot Scooby-Doo because they had that franchise that had, you know, had that long lifespan. They figured they could, if they could get a fresh new start to the series, then they could just ride that train into the sunset. And the whole advertising marketing strategy for this was, this time the monsters are real. Yep. And I don't know, I think they could have resorted to anything really anything significant that would deviate from the standard formula of Scooby-Doo in a significant way. I think that's all they really needed to do. So you think they decided like the premise of a monster being real came before like looking more so in the like SWAT cats example? Yeah, yeah. I think they decided we need to do something big with Scooby-Doo. And then they just went, well, I've got a, <laughs> I've got an episode that I've been working on for SWAT cats, and uh, it so just didn't get made. It could have been, you know, werewolves and not were cats. 
Right. So thank you, uh, SWAT cats, for giving us wear cats, which are just so interesting because you it's always werewolves, you know? Cats never get love. And that's just not right. That's not right. Cats are awesome. So if a, if a film or a new, a new TV show came out that was like, the monsters are all real as like the premise for an entire season or like another feature length movie, would it work again? Or was this just because it was so subversive for the time and just needed to give it that shot of adrenaline that it needed? Would it work still or would it feel cliche because this film already happened? I don't know. Would this... Would an inverse Scooby-Doo work in a post-zombie island cultural landscape? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm not sure. I hated the way you phrased that so much. Good, good, because oh, now it's giving me time to think of an actual answer. Deleting this entire podcast just because of that. I hate it. But I, th- I personally think um, enough time has passed that it could work, uh, but when I think of newer Scooby-Doo movies, they make allusions to monsters being real after they've solved the mystery. Like, for example, the mummy one where they go to Egypt, I think. Yeah, they go to they go to Egypt. Oh, no, I remember the episode. I remember that special. Uh, I, I try not to, but I remember. There's some supernatural stuff in there. There's undoubtedly more supernatural things that happen in the Scooby-Doo universe past this. So I think the series is leaning more towards these things can happen. But I don't know if they've made it a central focused focus that they are real. It's more just so like they're real sometimes. You know what I mean? But you know it's always real. The magic of friendship. Going around with your buds. I hate it. Solving <laughs> mysteries. Getting into hijinks. Oh, dear. So, is this the best Scooby-Doo film? Without a doubt. You know, I think some people... I agree with you. Uh, the one with the Hex sisters, I think, is a contender for a lot of people. The Hex girls. Which which is which? Yes, that one. Not no? even close. Not, not even close. Dip debatable on if it's got a better musical number with the Hex Girls. I, I will give it that. Definitely does. No. What was the... I can't believe you just randomly brought up that song. It's such a non... It's just a song. It's not even that good. Everyone, it's a great song. Tell Jeremy listen. in the comments that it's not that good. Just for me. It's all right. Even if you like it, just, just for me. I see through the lies. <laughs> I, I think most of the films, I feel, just aren't really trying at this point um what <laughs> hot what take scooby-doo and the walkers you know, monster that's one when they go to hawaii and they i the excuse yahoo <laughs> i like that movie. i don't like it i'm sorry i tried uh there are some weird ones the one where they go to mexico is really weird yeah the one where they meet john cena yeah, they made John Cena. It's a good thing it's animated, because if they tried to do a live-action episode with John Cena, we, it just would have looked like a ghost. I know, think... No one can see him. I feel like they just think they can do, like, look at this random celebrity, look at this monster, and they don't... Like, the selling point is whatever the monster or celebrity is, so they don't really have to think of a new subversive theme every time. It just... There it is. <laughs> we'll have our Korean animators without pay do this in two days, and it will air on Cartoon Network and go straight to video. Yeah, you never see these on the big screen, so it's not like they're putting in their like A team. I mean, 
No one wants to watch them on the big screen. I don't want to watch them on the small screen. Yeah, I only watch these when I'm sick. They used to air on Cartoon Network all day. So in high school, if I was sick, I would just, it was always the one where they go to Mexico. Always. See, I always saw the one where they went to Hawaii. I only saw it a few times. But either way, they just slam them all on Cartoon Network. (laughs) You know you've got quality programming when you schedule it to start at 1.30 p.m. on Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah, no one's home except very little kids. So, hot take from us. Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island is definitively for a fact, and if you disagree, you are wrong. The best Scooby-Doo, not only movie, but I think thing. Yeah? Yeah. He doesn't get to say yeah. So give me your final thoughts. Anything you're just dying to say? Scooby-Doo meets Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Definitely up there. It's it's <laughs> real hard. Real hard. What a weird combo. Interesting combo. Well, I highly implore you to look for this movie. It shouldn't be too hard to find. It's really the only Scooby-Doo thing worth looking at at this point in time. Unless the Mystery Incorporated animated series really is as good as people say also check out the theme song at the very least you owe it to yourself check out the theme song what's new scooby-doo yes what's new scooby-doo all right so this has been emily rubin and jeremy rogers thank you all for listening you can read all of our content at bitebsu.com and theballstatedaily.com be sure to follow us on facebook youtube twitter and instagram at bitebsu we'll be posting all of our halloween content throughout october so if you like spooky scary stuff then be sure to come and read our stuff all right everybody keep watching all those spooky movies and join us next time at input two